Well, when I was in seventh grade, how many of you guys are in seventh grade? About to start seventh grade? Yeah. Did any of you guys, are you going to a new school for seventh grade? Yeah, kind of. How, what does kind of mean? Like, yes, not really. Okay. Different campus, but same school? I did that once, too, when I went into second grade. Anyways, when I was going into seventh grade, my parents moved me from one school to the other. And if you have ever changed schools, you know that it's pretty nerve-wracking. If you're about to change schools, most likely you feel a little bit nervous about it. All new people, you don't really know the people, you don't know the teachers, you don't know what it's all about. It's nerve-wracking, especially when you were at the school that you were at for a long time. I was in the same school from kindergarten all the way through sixth grade, and then my parents decided to pull me out and put me in a new school for seventh grade. So I was really nervous, right? Well, before school started, we had football workouts, and football workouts started. So my dad drove me to the the gym at my new school, and I got out, and I walked into the weight room. And you know how, like, you go somewhere new, and people already know each other, and so they're all talking in their friend groups, and they know that everybody's having fun, they're ready for the season to start, they're talking about, and I don't know anybody. And so I just kind of walked in, and I found a spot, I just kind of stood there, didn't really know what to do. You ever been there before, where you're just like, well, this is awkward, (laughs) I don't know what to do. Well, that was me. I stood there for a few minutes, and then... This, this kid walked up to me, and he said, hey, man, what's your name? And we talked for a minute. He asked me about, you know, what position are you going to play in football? What school are you coming from? You know, are you, are you new to the city? You know, you've been here your whole life. Me too. You know, just getting to know each other. And then he says, hey, why don't you come over here with me, and I'll introduce you to my friends, and we can hang out, right? So he, he walks me over to his friends, introduces me, and I start to get to know these people. They make me feel welcome to this new school, to this new team. And it was a really great experience. It's a great first day. You see, in that moment, this, this boy, he showed me great compassion. He showed me compassion because he saw me, he felt sorry for me, and then he did something about it. And this boy, his name is Ryan, and Ryan and I are still best friends to this day. He was actually in my wedding, and I was in his wedding. Um, he just had a, a baby boy a few weeks ago. So it's really, really awesome because Ryan's small act of compassion and love towards me, it started a friendship that I believe is going to last through our entire lives. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And I want you to flip to verse 25. I know that our graphic says verse 30, but we're actually going to start a few verses before in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And this parable is called the parable of the Good Samaritan. You guys heard this one before? The parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a really good one. It's one of my favorites. This Good Samaritan, he sets a great example for how Christians should show compassion to one another. How you should love each other. How you should show compassion to your neighbor. See, Jesus in this parable is very, very clear about who you need to love and who you need to show compassion to. And this is something that Christians, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've professed faith in Jesus for some time... You can grow complacent with your love for each other and with showing compassion to each other. You can get comfortable with your friend group. You can get comfortable with the way life is going, and you're not really looking outward anymore. You're not looking at other people. You're just looking at yourself and your friends and your family. The parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us exactly what we should do as far as love and compassion go. So we're going to read starting in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10 verse 25, and it says this, And behold, 
a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Here's where the parable comes in. Verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He doesn't give him a straight answer. He starts to tell him a story. He gives him a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal, And brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. So, so Jesus is using this parable to teach us, to teach all of us, that you need to love all people, no matter what, and you need to show compassion to them at all times. All right? So here's point number one. I want you to write it down this way. First of all, you need to understand that your good deeds can't save you. Understand that your good deeds cannot save you. The lawyer, he stood up, and he was trying to trick Jesus. He was trying to trip him up. And this is something that the enemies of Christ did all the time. They wanted to ask him a hard question to see if he would not have the answer. They wanted to back him in a corner to get him to say something that was wrong. So he tries to do this to Jesus. And this same exact question occurs other places in the New Testament as well from different people. People are always concerned about eternal life. How do I get eternal life? And this question from the lawyer, it shows that he's making a basic mistake about eternal life. He thinks that he can do something to earn it. He thinks that he can actually earn eternal life by doing lots of things. Because he says, what shall I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, he answers this question with a question. He turns the tables back to the lawyer, and he says, you know what the law says. You know what it says. What what do you think it takes for eternal life? And this man says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Now maybe, at first glance, when you're reading over this, you're surprised that Jesus says, yes. You're like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. How, how is that it? So maybe you're thinking, wait, so can I do something? Can I actually do enough to gain eternal life? Jesus says the answer is right. But here's the point. 
no one can actually obey that command. No one can fully obey the command that Jesus is talking about. Because if you could really love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, you would never sin. When you choose to sin, it's because in that moment, you're choosing to love your sin more than you're loving God. You're saying, God, I know that you say this is wrong, but in the moment, I really want to do this sin, and I'm going to choose it over you. And if you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength at all times, then you will never choose sin over God. Now, God's standard for heaven, it is perfection. So the standard for you and I to get into heaven, to have eternal life in heaven, it is perfection. And God's word is clear about this. It says in Matthew 5.48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You must be perfect as God is perfect if you want to go to heaven. But wait, none of us can be perfect. None of us can obey this to the fullest extent. And that's exactly what Jesus is pointing out. Right? He's saying, if you could do this, if you could follow the command that you're repeating, then you would be perfect and, and you could earn eternal life. Do this and you will live. Never ever sin and you will have eternal life. But then, what the law says, is it says even if you could love God perfectly, even if you could love him this way, you still have to love others as yourself. And sometimes it's really, really difficult to love other people, isn't it? People are rude. People can be annoying. And it's hard to love other people during those times. So what's happening here is that Jesus is actually outsmarting the lawyer while the lawyer is trying to outsmart Jesus. And that's always what happens when they try and challenge him. Jesus knows that the lawyer can never be perfect. And he's asking him this question in order to back him into a corner so he sees that he's wrong about something. You guys ever heard of airsoft guns? You guys ever played with airsoft guns? When I was like 11 and 12, I used to love airsoft guns. I used to have a bunch of them. Well, I, I had some money. It was like from doing chores or my birthday or something like that. And I told my mom that I wanted to buy an airsoft gun. And it wasn't just any airsoft gun. It was like a fully automatic airsoft gun. Like it was really awesome. And I really wanted it because I just wanted to nail my brother with it. That's all I wanted <laughs> to do with that airsoft gun. So my mom takes me to Walmart where they sell these airsoft guns. And I find the one that I want, and I grab it off the shelf, and I take it to the man at the cash register, and I put it on there, and he scans it, and he looks at me. He's this tall guy, and I'm down, little kid, and he looks down at me, and he says, can I see your ID, please? And I just looked up at him, and I was like, what? And I look at my mom, and she's all confused, and I was like, I don't even know what an ID is. What are you asking for? <laughs> and my mom says, He's 11. He doesn't have an ID. And he says, well, then I can't sell this to you. And my mom says, okay, well, then I'll buy it. And he goes, well, I can't let you do that because I know that you're just going to turn around and give it to him. And my mom goes, okay, look, I don't even think that's how this rule works. Like, you can't tell me what to do with my kid. And he's like, look, that's the rule, and I don't want to get fired, so I can't sell you this airsoft gun. And then we left. And then my dad had to take my money and go and buy it for me. And then he gave it to me. 
Well, this guy, this, this cashier at Walmart, he knew that I didn't have an ID. He could tell that I was a little kid and I didn't have an ID. But he still asked me that question to prove a point. And his point was, I can't sell you this unless you are legal, unless you have an ID, unless I see how old you are. You cannot buy this gun. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing to this lawyer. He's asking him a question. He's backing him into a corner to where he has to then come to grips with and see that he cannot do enough to go to heaven. He cannot earn eternal life. He was saying, look, here's how you do it, but I know it's not possible. So this lawyer is left with, well, what do I do? Look, you need to know, like I said, that God's standard for eternity in heaven, for eternal life, it is perfection. And there is only one way. There's only one way for you to become perfect. And it doesn't have anything to do with you being good enough and you always obeying and you doing lots of good things. There's one way for you to be perfect and it's through trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's it. That is the only way for you to be made perfect, to, to fit the standard that God sets for heaven. See, Jesus came to earth. Jesus lived the perfect life. He never sinned a single time. He died the death that you and I deserve because of our sin. And when he was hanging on the cross in our place, he took the punishment for sin that we deserve. And he died. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And he was resurrected on the third day. And when he was resurrected, he defeated death. He defeated hell. He defeated sin forever. Once and for all, it was done. And this provides a way for you and me to have eternal life. Because when you trust in Jesus Christ, you become perfect. And what that means is, it doesn't mean that you're perfect for the rest of your life and you're never going to sin again. But it means that you are now in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. And when God sees you as a Christian, he doesn't see you in your sin and your brokenness anymore. He sees the perfection of Jesus because you trust in him. It's not based on your good works. It's all based on Jesus' perfection. And when you trust in him, God gives you perfection. He gives you his own righteousness so that you can fit the standard, so that you can be perfect, so that you can go to heaven and have eternal life and be with him. You're made new when you become a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you trust in Jesus, your old self is gone, and you're a new creation, made perfect because of the blood of Jesus, because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus. So you need to understand what this lawyer didn't understand. You need to understand that good deeds do not save you. Only trusting in Jesus will save you. So the lawyer, he begins to realize that he's being outsmarted by Jesus. This is a smart guy too, but he's clearly not smarter than Jesus. He starts to realize, wait a minute, he's getting the best of me. He's backing me into a corner. And he tries to make himself look better than he really was. Now, this lawyer was Jewish. 
And sometimes the Jews would teach that their neighbors were only other Jews. They said, hey, Gentile people, Gentiles, by the way, that that's anyone who's not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish today, you're a Gentile. Congratulations. They would teach that you only need to love Jews. That you don't need to care about Gentiles. You don't need to love Gentiles. They're not your neighbor. You need to let them do their own thing. Just forget about them. As long as you are loving other Jews, then you're doing what God says to do. So, he knows that he hasn't loved the Gentiles well. He knows that he hasn't loved God this way and loved others this way. So he starts to try and justify his own actions. He asks Jesus a question. And here's point number two. You need to know who your neighbor is. You need to know who your neighbor is. Because the question that this lawyer asks is, who is my neighbor? He says, who is my neighbor, Jesus? Maybe he's hoping Jesus is going to say, oh, well, it's just, the, it's just the other Jews. And if he says it's just the other Jews, this lawyer can say, good, then I'm done. I've done all this. Great. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus moves into a story, tells the story of the good Samaritan here. There's this man, and he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Kind of a long journey. And this journey was widely known as a dangerous journey. It wasn't safe. This road was twisting and turning through rock walls and through tiny passageways, and it was perfect for robbers to sit and wait to ambush people, to beat them up, and to steal all their stuff. This road, this passageway, is still today known as a dangerous road. You can go look this up later, but it's, it's been known throughout history as a dangerous road to travel. And this good Samaritan, <clears throat> sorry, this, this man is traveling down this road, and, and, and this man, he ends up getting beaten up by these robbers. They, they jump him, they steal his stuff, they beat him up so bad that he's half dead. He's almost dead. That's how bad off he looks. And Jesus says that a priest comes down the road. Now when Jesus said a priest comes, most likely the Jews were expecting Jesus to say, the priest came and he stopped and he helped him. Because you would expect a priest to do that. But that's not what happens, is it? The priest walks right by him. Then, Jesus says, a Levite showed up. A Levite is someone from the tribe of Levi. You can trace it all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. You can trace this tribe through. The Levites were known as very religious people. This Levite should have known what to do. So maybe here the Jews are hearing this again. The lawyer's listening and saying, oh, this is the Levite. Surely the Levite will stop. Surely this is the one who stopped him and helped him. But the Levite passes by him. And then Jesus says this. A Samaritan showed up. A Samaritan showed up. And the Samaritan is the one who showed compassion to the hurt man. So there's three different people. The priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. The Samaritan stopped. I want you to imagine for a second that you're hearing this story. And it's a true story. That I'm telling you a story that happened the other day. And I tell you, hey, there's this guy that got beat up really, really bad. And, and Pastor Mike was walking down the road, and, and, he, and he saw him, and he, and he saw this man, but Pastor Mike just walked right by him. You probably would be like, whoa, that's not what I expected you to say. Like, you would expect 
Pastor Mike to stop and help. Just like these people would expect a priest, maybe, to stop and help. And then the Levite, think, think of someone that you know who's just a really strong Christian. Maybe one of your parents, maybe your closest friend who has just really strong faith. Maybe you would expect that person to stop. But in the story, the person didn't stop. The person who stopped to help was a Samaritan. And it's important to note that this person is a Samaritan. Well, why does it matter? Why do you think it matters that this person is a Samaritan? Well, it's because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. They were like mortal enemies. So everyone listening to Jesus' parable would have stopped when he said the word Samaritan, and they would have said, no, 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 we don't talk about Samaritans, we don't like Samaritans, do not even talk about them. And then when Jesus says, he's the one who stopped, they would have been like, no, we don't want to hear this, we don't like them, we hate each other, this is not this is not true. This is bad. This is bad news. We don't like this. But the Samaritan was the one who stopped. When I was in high school, my school had a huge rivalry against the other private Christian school across town. There were two of us, and um, my school was Calvary Day School, and the other school was Savannah Christian Preparatory School. Ugh. Savannah Christian. We were arch enemies, rivals. It was bad. It, it was to the point to where it didn't matter what sport we were playing against them. There was most likely going to at least be a big argument, at most be a complete bench-clearing brawl. It was bad. Even, even in sports that you wouldn't think, like even like cross-country, people are like arguing about, like, oh, no, you, we hate you, we hate you. Like, it's cro- like if you run cross-country, I'm sorry, like, it's, it's fun, it's a cool thing if you like running, but like, you don't expect there to be this big like, altercation at a cross-country meet or whatever you call it, right? But that's how bad it was. We just couldn't stand each other. Well, there was this one day where I was at the mall with my friends, and we saw this group of Savannah Christian kids walk in the mall. And the reaction that we had was, oh, Savannah Christian, Pfft. We don't want to like them. Don't even look at them. Don't even look at them. We, we have a football game against them Friday. Don't even look at them. We hate them. It's just dumb. Well, my friend, he's like, guys, y'all are being stupid. Like, those are nice people. I'm going to go talk to them. And he walks across the mall, and he talks to these Savannah Christian kids. And me and my friends were like, oh, what? We couldn't believe it. We could not believe that he was doing this. So he walks away, and then eventually he comes back, and he finds us. And the whole rest of the day, we're like, oh, hey, traitor. Hey, hey, you traitor. Go, why don't you go back to your Savannah Christian? Why don't you just transfer to that school next year if you love them so much? Blah, 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 blah. Just, just dumb of us, right? Now, imagine that I was the one beat up, and the person who stopped for me was a Savannah Christian kid, right? Like, whoa, you would not expect that, right? But, but magnify, like, like, multiply that by like a thousand. That's how intense, that, that's how crucial it was that the Samaritan stopped for the Jew. Years and years of, of just arguing and animosity and just, just bad stuff built up, and this Samaritan stopped for the Jew. They would have been shocked to hear the story. They would have been shocked to hear that the Samaritan was the one who had compassion. So Jesus is teaching the lawyer, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you dislike someone, it doesn't matter 
if they're your arch enemy, if they're the biggest rival that you have, it doesn't matter who it is. That person is your neighbor. And you need to love that person. You need to show compassion to that person. Your neighbor is not just your close friend or your family. Your neighbor is everyone. That's what Jesus is teaching. Everyone is your neighbor. You need to treat everyone with love and compassion the way that the Good Samaritan did. Everyone around you is your neighbor, and you're commanded to love everyone as you love yourself. The Samaritan showed that he was going to love this way. Like we said, of all people, he technically shouldn't have been the one to stop. But he did. He stopped. He helped. He didn't let anything He didn't let anything get in his way of stopping and caring. And in the same way, you need to let you need to treat everyone like they are your neighbor, no matter what. No matter the history you have with the person, no matter if there's nothing in common, they're your neighbor. You need to love them. It doesn't matter how rude someone is to you, they're your neighbor, and you need to love them. It doesn't matter how annoying someone is. It doesn't matter if you literally have nothing in common with a person. They are your neighbor. You need to love them. It doesn't matter that they have a different skin color, that they speak a different language, they're from a different city, a different state, a different country. They are your neighbor, and Jesus commands you to love them and to have compassion for them. So you cannot be like the Jews. You cannot be like these people who were trying to exclude other people from being their neighbor. You cannot do that. Because sometimes we can be just like the Jews. We can be just like the lawyer, trying to give reasons why it's okay that we don't love someone, why it's okay that we don't show someone compassion. Right? You can say, we're not even friends. We're not even friends. We don't ever talk. Why, why would I show love? Why would I be compassionate to this person? Whenever We're not even friends. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe you've said that before. Or maybe it's, well, they've been really mean to me in the past. Like, they've been really mean. So why would I love them, and why would I show them compassion if they've just been mean to me? Or what about this? This is kind of the case of the Jews and the Samaritans, but it could be this. They believe different things than me. They don't believe in God, right? It could be they're, they're Muslim, or they're Buddhist, or, or they're, they're atheists. They don't believe that God is even real. They don't believe in any of this. So, so why would I love them? Why would I show compassion to them? Don't be like the Jews. Don't be like the lawyer. Everyone is your neighbor. You need to love everyone and show compassion to everyone. When I was a kid, <laughs> I was confused about who my neighbor was, L- like literally who my neighbors were. So we were, me and my parents were somewhere and we ran into some people and we, they started talking to them. And whenever we like walked away, I was like, hey, who are those people? And my mom said, those are our neighbors. And I was like, what? They don't live next door to us. They don't live to our right or to our left. So they're not our neighbors. And my mom was like, Jacob, yes, they are. They, they're our neighbors. And I was like, what? Like my little brain couldn't understand what my mom was saying because I thought that a neighbor was literally someone who lived to your left or to your right. And so I'm arguing with my parents. Like, they're not our neighbors. Like, what are you talking about? I know who our neighbors are. I know what their names are. I've seen them before. We play with their grandkids. Those are not our neighbors. And finally, my parents were like, dude, 
you don't understand what a neighbor is. Like, they live across the street. Like, like there, there are across-the-street neighbors. So then, my parents, in order to help me understand, they would use phrases like that. Like, like there are across-the-street neighbors. Like, there are two, two doors down neighbors. And I'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, that's, there are neighbors. Yeah. I was confused about who my neighbor was. And I do not want you to be confused about who your neighbor is. I'm not talking about the people who live in the houses next door to you. I'm talking about what Jesus is talking about. I do not want you to be confused about who your neighbor is. Everyone is your neighbor. You need to love everyone. You need to show compassion to everyone. So Jesus is teaching this lawyer about who his neighbors are, about how he needs to treat them. So now, you know who your neighbors are, right? Tell me, who, who is your neighbor? Everyone. Everyone is your neighbor. That's, that's just half of it, guys. First, you have to identify who your neighbors are, and it's everyone. And then Jesus says, now this is how you treat your neighbor. This is how you love your neighbor. This is what you need to do. Point number three. Love others by being compassionate. Love others by being compassionate. When the Samaritan saw the hurt man, he instantly had compassion. And here's what compassion means. I know we've said the word a few times, but here's what it means. It means having concern for the suffering of others and then doing something to help. Having concern, right? So if the Samaritan had just said, oh no, I feel bad for him, bye, and walked away, that's not real compassion. Real compassion is feeling sorry for someone. It's seeing the suffering of someone and then doing something to help. And that's what the Good Samaritan did. That's real compassion. I want you just to listen. We need to wrap our minds around what this man did for the man who got robbed. Here's what he did. He bandaged his wounds. Now remember, this, this man was half dead. You know how bad you have to look physically to look like you're half dead? I'm just imagining, I'm sure that he was cut up and bloody and bruised, and it was just a mess. And this good Samaritan gets down on the ground with him, and he takes bandages out. He's wrapping him up. He's, he's bandaging his wounds. I, like, he probably got blood on him. He got messy. He got in the mess with him, but he didn't care about that. He knew this man was hurt. He knew he needed help. So he's, he's helping. He's bandaging his wounds. And then it says that he poured oil and wine on his Wounds. Now, I know to us that sounds weird because when you get a cut, you don't go grab oil and pour it on there, right? But back in the day, back in this time, that was, that was normal. They would pour oil and wine and it would soothe the cuts and the bumps and the bruises. And the oil and the wine, it's, it's not necessarily cheap. It's not just like regular lotion or ointment or anything like that. But he wasn't concerned about using his own stuff on this man. He, he could have been like, whoa, whoa, I spent, this is for me. Like if I get hurt, it's for on my journey, I need this stuff. He didn't think about that. He said, yeah, it's my, I bought it. It's my stuff, but he's hurt. He needs it. So he's pouring this oil and this wine on him, and he's wrapping up his, 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 uh, his bumps, his bruises. He's putting bandages on him. And then it says that he put him on his own animal. Well, I don't know exactly how much further he had to go, but I'm assuming it was, it was a good ways. And he put this guy, this hurt man, on his own animal, whether it's a donkey, horse, camel, whatever, and he walked the rest of the way so this guy could sit on the animal and get to where they were going. 
He could have thought, well, I've got way too far to go. I can't help. My legs are going to hurt when I get there. I've got to get on this. I've got to go. But he didn't do that. And it, and it slowed down his journey because he's walking. An animal can walk much faster and further than a person. But he didn't care about that. He didn't care about any of that. And then he brings him to an inn. It's like a motel. And he goes to the innkeeper and he pays for his room. And he brings him inside the room. He gets him situated. And he continues to bandage his wounds and to take care of him. Look, at this point, he, he probably doesn't even know the man's name. Because he's been knocked out the whole time. He doesn't know anything about this guy. Other than the fact that he was hurt and he needed help. And it says the next day, he gives two denarii to the innkeeper. And he says, hey, here's more money. Use this to take care of him. It, it, down payment for the room. If you need to get more bandages, more oil, whatever you need, go buy it with my money. I'll take care of him. It, it, like, and if you, if you use more, if this money doesn't cover it and you have to use your own money, whatever it is, I'll pay it back. I'll pay it forward. Just let me know because I'm going to take care of this guy. Now, we talk about a denarii. That's money. Denarius... A denarius is a full day's worth of pay. A full day's worth of work, that's, that's your wage for a full day. So I want you to imagine that you're out in the sun, in the heat. You're working all day, nine to five, all day long. And at the end of the day, your boss gives you your money for the day. And then you wake up the next day, and you get outside, and you're working all day long again, two days in a row, he gives you that money. There's two hard days of work that you've earned that money. It's your money to do what you want with it. You get to go buy food. You get to go do whatever you want with it. Well, this man says, I don't care that it took me two days to get this money. He needs it more than I do. He needs help. I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to spend it on him because he's hurt, and he needs help. This is what the Samaritan did for the hurt man. The compassion that he showed to him. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's incredible, the compassion and the love he showed to the hurt man. Now, after telling this parable, Jesus turns to the lawyer and he says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And now the lawyer has nothing else to say other than this, the one who showed him mercy. He knew the answer. He knew he was right. He didn't need Jesus to say, yep, ding, 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 correct, good job. He didn't even say that. Because after he said, the one who showed him mercy, Jesus turns to him and he says, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Jesus taught the lawyer what it really means to love your neighbor as yourself. He taught this man what it means to love other people, to show compassion to other people. And it means that you need to see when people around you are in need and you need to do something to meet the need. When you can see that someone needs something, you step in and you do something to meet the need. Philippians 2.3, I want you to write that verse reference down. Philippians 2, verse 3. It says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
to love others the way that Jesus says you need to be more focused on others than yourself. You have to be more focused on other people than yourself. The priest and the Levite, they were too focused on themselves. The priest was thinking, whoa, I don't even know if the guy is alive. If he's dead and I go and I touch him, then I'm not clean anymore because the priest had all these like ceremonially cleanliness laws to go and to think about. And he's like, I don't have the time. I'll be unclean if he's dead and I touch him. Then I have to go through all this stuff and it's just inconvenient. So I'm going to leave him. He was too focused on himself. The Levite, too focused on himself. Maybe he had somewhere to go. Maybe he was thinking, I don't have time to stop. I'm late. I've got to get somewhere. Maybe he's like, I'm too busy. I can't do this. Or maybe he thought, I'm too important. I'm too important for him. He's beneath me. I got to keep going. But the Samaritan did not care about himself in this situation. He was not focused on himself at all. He was only focused on the hurt man. I want you to think about how much time it took him to help the man. How much energy it took him. But he wasn't inconvenienced by it. It didn't even cross his mind. He didn't even think, oh man, this is going to ruin my day. Oh. He had compassion, and he moved to help. So listen. Do you see the needs of others? I'm asking you a question, and I want you to answer it in your minds. Do you see the needs that other people have? Or are you too focused on yourself? Are you always focused on yourself and your close friends that you just miss what's going on in other people's lives? Do you notice when people are in need, and when you do notice, do you do something to help? Look, here's some very, very easy things, practical things for you to do to show compassion. School starts back soon. Bummer. Right? Unless you're happy about it. I don't know. When you go back to school, for those of you that are not homeschooled, look around and identify the people that are alone. Look around and find the people that are sitting at the lunch table or that are in your class that are sitting alone. They're not talking to someone. And you need to just look at them and you need to know they don't like that they're alone. You need to have compassion in that moment and then you need to go and do something about it. You need to go and introduce yourself to the person. Make a friend. Introduce this person to your friend. You need to go and do something and stop caring what other people think. Stop caring about, oh, what are my friends going to say? That's, I don't know, that, that person might be kind of weird. I don't know. I don't want you know, to be around someone weird. Stop caring about it. Stop caring so much about yourself. And go and show compassion to people. And look, even, even more so than when you're at school, you need to also abide by that rule here at the narrow. If you walk in these doors and you see a student in here alone, please Please be the one who goes to the new student and says, hey, introduce yourself. Talk to them. Tell them that you're glad they're here. Tell them to come meet your friends. It doesn't matter that you've never met the person before. It doesn't matter. This should be the place where that's happening, of all places. Don't let anybody come here and be alone. You need to see the need. You need to have compassion. You need to do something about it. Think of all the ways you can show compassion to your neighbors, to everyone, the the people who live in your home, your siblings, your parents, maybe literally as your next door neighbors. I don't know. Think about how you can love and show compassion. And listen, 
Jesus set the perfect example on showing compassion. Two quick verses. Luke chapter 7 verse 13. It says, And when the Lord saw her, he's talking about the mother, the mother whose son just died. It says, When he saw her, he had compassion. He had compassion on her. And then Matthew 15 says, Jesus is talking, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And both times when Jesus had compassion, what did he do? He did something about it. In Luke 7, what did he do? He raised the woman's son from the dead. He saw a need, had compassion, did something. The same thing in Matthew chapter 15. This is when he fed the crowds. They were hungry and he fed 4,000 people. So he looks at the lawyer and he says, go and do likewise. So in the same way, you and I need to go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the parable of the Good Samaritan. God, thank you for making it so clear in your word what we need to do to be saved. It's not about our works. It's not about our own righteousness. But thank you, Lord, that it is all about the righteousness of Jesus. I pray that we would all put our trust in Jesus, that every student here will do that, that you would save them all. God, please help us to know who our neighbor is, to know that we have to love and show compassion to everyone, God, and please help us to live it out. Help us not to be people who just see things and feel bad, but help us to see something, feel compassion, and do something about it because it's what you expect for your children to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.